There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard at Wiz City. This is our midsummer edition. We've just concluded the British Open. And we're going to actually lead off our show with a, uh, a medical issue. We usually lead off with, with sports highlights and analysis, but we will get into plenty of that. However, there's something we just can't ignore. Troy Palomalo, five days ago, came out and admitted that he's lied about head injuries in the past in order to remain on the field. In an interview with Dad Patrick, he said, yes, I have for sure. Palomalo said he didn't tell any major lies but explain that football players see a distinction between a hit to the head that completely removes you from play and a lighter one that doctors view as a concussion. Want to bring Spencer the Wizard Grocery to the discussion. So, Spence, uh, did this surprise you when Palomal came out with this? No, it, it didn't surprise me because you look at the toughest guy in the game of football and people would say uh, either Troy Palomalo or Ray Lewis. Um and Troy Palomalo has always played with his heart on his sleeve, and he's always, he's kind of like an animal. Like, we remember that famous play where it was fourth and goal, and the Ravens had the ball on the one-yard line, and Troy Palomalo dove over the offensive line to sack Joe Flacco. He dove over the center. So the guy is just a freak athlete, and he, he does do dangerous athletic maneuvers. I mean, every football player has to do it, but Palomalo especially is just a complete animal on the field, but he also um, really he puts his body in such awkward positions a lot um, to try to make a play for his team, and he's like one of the most gutty guys in the game. So, um, And also he's one of the most competitive people uh, the NFL has ever seen, so that didn't really surprise me actually about Palomalo saying well, I wouldn't say I was surprised either, but I think it's very important for our listeners at Bruce the Sports Doc to realize the dangers of hiding a concussion. In fact, one of the main mission statements of this show, and we coordinate this with Ray Ellis, our sports director, is to educate the public, players, parents, coaches, trainers, about the dangers of concussion. Firstly, there's an entity called um, second impact syndrome, Spence. That happens when there's a first concussion that causes brain swelling, and then there's another big hit with another concussion. You and I attended a uh, seminar a few months ago where we saw um, a college athlete who was, had permanent brain damage from a second impact syndrome. Basically, he had a brain hemorrhage and a stroke, and now... He has difficulty with just basic activities of daily living. So my real concern is is not with Palomalo or the pros, you know, who are, you know, specialized people. They're, they're adults. They accept the risks. But really to try to teach the kids the wrong things. Peyton Manning came out about six months ago and mentioned how he would, uh, he would try to, uh, when he was taking his baseline impact test, he would, he would try to perform poorly on the test 
so that if you ever had a concussion, they wouldn't take about a play. So the problem is, Spets, we're not only just looking at pros, we're looking at college athletes and high school athletes. They're going to look up to these NFL players, and there's been so much discussion of uh, chronic of CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. In fact, as you know, there's a um, major lawsuit. More than 2,400 retired NFL players are suing the NFL, claiming that the NFL knew about repeated concussions leading to brain damage and hiding the information. So in the face of this, where everything, the rules are changing to try to protect people, there's a lot of push to improve the equipment. We've got Palomalo, Peyton Manning, and certain other people coming out and, uh, you know, perhaps being honest, but I think uh, taking a step back. Um, well, on this matter, I think the NFL did a, has been doing a better job with instant replay, including in technology, of suspending players for, for really hitting defenseless wide receivers to the head. And I think that if defensive players know to just hit the guy in the chest or just hit him fairly, then we can eliminate the concussions. Because um, when you look at a, head, a shot to the head, usually it's, an inc- it's either an incomplete pass or just a big hit. That's it. And then everyone goes on to the next play. But, but for the victim of that hit, as you've mentioned, it could, it could result in a dangerous concussion. And it could shorten the life his lifespan, um, you know. And and sh- shots like that should just not be tolerated. And I think that if you teach the kids at a younger level, the NFL in fifteen years will be the product of these high school kids. And if you teach them better technique, eventually we will see less concussions. I believe because kids will be playing more fairly. Um, I think that the biggest. Um, the biggest problem in this matter is also peer pressure. You, you look at a team like the Baltimore Ravens, Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis. These guys are warriors. They're kind of like modern-day gladiators. If you're a rookie and you're playing it on the Ravens defensive if you're a Raiders defense, uh, Ravens defensive player and you're playing with Ray Lewis and you get hit hard in the head um, and you're there with Harbaugh and everything and you want to sit out, Ray Lewis is going to look at you and just say, are you kidding me, man? Are you going to be a wimp? And that peer pressure, I think, from veterans like Palomalu or Peyton Manning or Ray Lewis, um, that's probably the biggest problem, and that's probably why players are, are playing the game uncomfortably and in you know poor circumstances. Well, very insightful comments. Again, I'll... Pointing out to the listeners that I am actually the board-certified neurologist, but my son Spencer is an 11th grader who uh, pays a great deal of attention to these games, and we appreciate his comments. Uh, that leads us right into the fact that Palomalo is not the only player who's admitted to hiding a head injury. Bears pro quarterback, I mean pro quarterback. <laughs> Jake Cutler? <laughs> no, no. No, he doesn't hide concussions very well. He doesn't hide the But uh, Brian Erlocker admitted in February he would also lie about concussions. And it doesn't surprise me. He's like the biggest warrior in the game. Well, being a big warrior doesn't mean you have to be a brain-injured warrior. Uh, in fact, let's, let's look at more comments from Palomalo, then we'll, we'll move to some other comments. Uh, there's so much build-up about team camaraderie and sacrifice in football, such a tough man's game. 
Apollo model told the Dan Patrick show. That's almost exactly what you said. I think that's why it's popular. Why so many blue-collar communities and people feel really attracted to it. Because it's a blue-collar struggle that football players go through in terms of the physicality of the game and the commitment. It's that commitment you need to play football. You feel sore, you're beat up, you're injured, you're legitimately injured. Most people take three months off to work at an office. We choose to play the next week. So he is you know, sharing the idea that he's still using the old term, Getting your bell rung. I remember when we spoke to Mike Quick, you know, who's a certainly a, a an All Pro wide receiver for the Eagles and a, a good friend of the show and, and us personally. And Mike, you know, is certainly le- you know leading the charge to educate people about concussions and to uh, and I don't think he would take kindly to the, these comments. And he even said that they just told you you get your bell rung and go back in there and that. That's kind of the position of the 2,400 retired players, that they were not informed about the long-term effects that the NFL knew about it. And, uh, again, Palomalo says, let's quote him again. When you get your bell rung, they consider that a concussion. I wouldn't. If that is considered a concussion, I'd say any football player at least records 50 to 100 concussions a year. Well, I guess, well, Palomalo is not a neurologist, but... Uh, it's really a it's it's a gray area. Even as a neurologist, there is um, there are a lot of data. There's sideline tests. There's impact tests. There's symptomatology, and the, the NFL is um, is becoming more strict about not allowing players, you know, with an identified concussion, to return to the field without their symptoms completely abating, which means stopping, and without clearance, you know, with respect to an impact test. But here's a gray area. If, if somebody has, gets a hit, they know their days, and they're able to conduct themselves and, and know the plays, there's no way, even for the NFL, uh, to uh, detect that and to protect the players. You know, it's a, it's a difficult situation because, you know, there's so many. There, you think about football, it's... Um, it's it's eleven on eleven. It's eleven on eleven. You know, playing and there's a, there's so many players over the field. And when you're on TV, you can't see uh, each individual battle versus another individual. So it's hard. So people can't like keep data on who's getting hit. Also, this I wanted to mention the psyche of football players compared to hockey players. Hockey players play eighty regular season games. Um, football players suit up 16 times a year, and most of the time, the the teams don't even make the playoffs. So when you're playing in a game, it's one of the few times you're playing during the year. These football players don't play a lot. Most of the year is actually an off season. So when you get your bell rung in a game, there's not many more games in a football season. So players are going to conduct themselves to stay in. They train all year round to play. In the six in the sixteen sixty minute football games, so that's another part of the psyche of these players is there's not many games in the season, and if I sit out this game, I mean that's that's like a whole week of scrutiny from fans, and it could be costing my team a playoff spot because each regular season game is so sacred. Well, um, the time sure flying by on this first segment. I'd like to continue the discussion with Spencer the Wizard. And I'm going to bring into, he just brought up hockey. I'd like to bring up some hockey players in the next segment. Chris Pronger, Sidney Crosby, 
And I'd also like to introduce and uh, re- basically reiterate what we've talked about in the past about so many players with chronic traumatic encephalopathy it, it really dying in a horrible way. So uh, this is a very uh, sobering topic. And the fact that Palomalo came out with these quotes, I think, really uh, r- continues the discussion, which has been very heated, uh, certainly, uh, throughout sports, the NFL as well. So, again, you want to thank Michael Mitchell, who's our chief producer extraordinaire, for uh, processing our show, as he always does uh, uh, at the last minute. Uh, of course, Ray Ellis, our sports director, allowing us to remain on your air. And, of course, the listeners of Bruce the Sports Talk and Spencer the Wizard. So, it's time for you to get a snack. Enjoy. We'll be back in three. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next edition of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spetch of the Wizard. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm a clinical neurologist in the tri-state area back east, and we have offices outside of Philadelphia and in Wilmington, Delaware. We have four doctors in our practice, and if you're within the uh, driving distance of our practice, we'd love to see you. If there's a problem with concussions, neck or back injuries, orthopedic injuries, whether it be on the field of play on the highways, or at the workplace. Please give us a call, 610-521-6063. I'm here with Spencer the Wizard Grossinger, who is my son. Just turned 18. We want to wish him a happy birthday. Spencer was formerly on the uh, Kids Network, and uh, a few months ago, <laughs> talk much, he, uh, he basically uh, was promoted to the uh, big leagues. He went from the minor leagues up to the adult league which is Voice America Sports. And he is a guy who watches a lot of sports, thinks about them, analyzes it. And uh, and he's the guy I rely upon to analyze uh, sports. So let's continue with this hot topic, concussions in the NFL. Let's look, uh, let's reference and uh, give praise to one of my favorite websites, profootballtalk.com, Mike Florio. Let's look at a post a few months ago. There was an interview in the Associated Press with 44 current NFL players. It was a simple question they asked Betts. They said, how many of you would hide a concussion to stay in the game? 23, which is a majority, said they would. More than, However, they also said they would like to have people like me, board certified or independent neurologists on the sidelines. The NFL hasn't gone so far. They basically mandate that special concussion experts who are not even doctors, actually are trainers, are on the sidelines for the games, but not neurologists. So uh, former Eagle, Ram safety, Quentin Michael said, 
why not have somebody there to protect your head? You've got guys looking at your uniform to make sure you're wearing the right kind of socks. However, Michael, who's also a big-hitting safety, acknowledges that he knows the risks, but he accepts the risk. He said, I'll probably pay for it later in my life, but at the same time, I'll probably pay for the alcohol that I drank or driving fast cars. It's one of the things that comes with the territory. Well, it's kind of easy for him to say that, and a lot of teenagers think they're invisible. A lot of you know, pro football players, they don't think about injuries. They, that's, they wouldn't play as well. They wouldn't play as hard. But when you've seen the Dave Dewersons, when you talk to the Jim McMahons and the Terry Bradshaws, you know, true warriors, uh, you know, Hall of Famers, it basically you hear about how they, they walk into a room and they forget why they're there. They can't put words together. They, uh, they have anger. They, they have emotional issues that they never experienced before. And, and you look at uh, you know, the departed players, Junior Seau. We did, a whole, uh, we did a whole show on him. He's a guy who was a young guy, had everything to live for, was in great shape financially, basically killed himself. An impulsive act, whether this was due to depression, uh, we believe it's due to chronic traumatic encephalopathy, much like Dave Dewerson, Mike Webster, Andre Waters, great friend of, of uh, Ray Ellis in the show. Uh, and Ray, Ray has been touched uh, by these, uh, these players, personal friends of his, and he's, he's been rocked by these revelations. So uh, faced with this data, Spencer, again, what are your thoughts? To, to players, um, mostly players and a couple fans, uh, you have to still look at football in perspective and that it is just a game. I mean, it can mean more than, than life, but it, it, it's, a, it's actually just a game and it doesn't mean more than life. That, that's the point. Some people think it means everything to them, but it, it, in truth, it doesn't. You look at the people you love, you love your teammates, but you love your family. And you want to provide for your wife and your kids after you leave the game of football. And you look at these players and, you know, they really got to watch themselves on the field. And you don't want to be put in a situation um, later in life where you can't function properly. And, you know, trust, you know, you should trust us here. You know, my dad's a neurologist and and you know that you shouldn't be playing the game so aggressively to really get these injuries and um and you see you've seen the horrible things which have happened with Dewerson and Junior Seau and you know Andre Waters and the bottom line is that you want to be able to have life after football and you have a lot of your life to live after football you know let's the average age of retirement's probably 35 you know, most people nowadays live to they're about 70. So you still have half your life left to live. And, you know, you want to see your kids grow up and you want to see your grandchildren grow up. And you want to be there. So um, the bottom line is we got to find a solution for these guys. I mean, I respect them. I know that they're gladiators. But at the same time, you can't be putting your life at such a risk like that. And... um 
you know, I'm glad we're talking about this matter because the reason we're talking about it is we care about these guys. You know, I think mostly every football player is an innocent person. And we want to see them be healthy later in life and not have, you know, these, uh, these horrible things happen to them with the CTE. Cause, you know, really if you play football dangerously, it could be like a drug that could be shortening your life and it's very serious stuff. Well, right you are, Spencer. And as you alluded to, the patients who are afflicted with CT, the former players, they usually don't live past their 40s or into their 50s. They develop psychiatric problems, memory problems, and an alarmingly high rate of suicide. We alluded to the names before, the Dave Dorsons, the Junior Seals. And we still, in the medical field, in the neurology field, we don't really understand what differentiates the chronic brain injury in football players as opposed to boxers. Boxers obviously take a lot of blows to the head. But you know what? They tend to have a different presentation. Boxers tend to have more of Parkinsonian-like symptoms like Muhammad Ali. Masked face, uh, a lot of tremors, difficulty you know, getting the words out. But they tend to not be overly emotional, and the boxers tend not to kill themselves. They live a lot longer. And why is that? We just don't know. Uh, I think it's important to, uh, to not just focus on the pro athletes, but also the, uh, the children playing sports. There's over 60 million children in the United States playing sports. And one of the biggest issues is when parents and coaches uh, try to hide a concussion. And therefore, parents, coaches, and children need to know about what concussions are. There's a good story here, University of Miami, uh, Miller School of Medicine, about a, uh, a girl, a, a, a child soccer player, Michelle, hard to say, Rook Pasquale. She was playing in, in high school. And after the game, this senior did some research on concussions and suspected she could have suffered one. However, she kept quiet. A few weeks later, another blow to her head. She was dizzy. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to miss any games. And that ended up being worse because I got elbowed under the eye in another game and I felt horrible. So she suffered a concussion. She said light bothered her. Noise bothered me. I was really dizzy and I had a bad memory. I never knew how serious concussions were. So here's a senior high school athlete firsthand who's appreciating the headaches, the memory loss, and uh, she really regretted the fact that she tried to hide her concussions. So really, this is, you know, not our only statement. We, we're here at Bruce the Sports Doc to also talk about orthopedic injuries, managing injuries, minimizing injuries. But concussion really has been the, uh, the dominant central theme. I believe Ray Ellis, you know, invited me to join Voice of America Sports because of this issue. And... Uh, and we're, we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep beating the drum. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly welcome your, your questions and comments. And we will uh, keep you informed, you know, week in and week out. Yeah. Um, you know, this matter is a sad one, but it's, it's really important. And we just want to help athletes around the world, you know, cope with concussions and getting hit. You know, the point is, is that, uh, 
getting a concussion is not illegal. I think it's more brave to stand up and say you have a concussion than to not than to not say it. I think it's you know you shouldn't you should tell people about what's going on because getting a concussion most of the time it isn't your fault so might as well spit it out it's not like you're doing something harm it's not like you're doing something bad and you don't want to tell your parents that you're doing something you know that shouldn't be done getting a concussion is you know people should understand that when you play sports it happens and if you have a good teammate or friend that makes fun of you because you're getting a concussion um then they're not really that nice of a teammate or friend. And uh, the point is, is that if you miss a game, it, it's worth missing a game if you're really in, in um, critical condition with a concussion. And you can really, if you play and push yourself, it's not a smart idea. And uh, the bottom line is it's a better idea to uh, to heal and get better than to push yourself out there on the field. Because you, you shouldn't be taking that risk anyway. You'd be playing guilty, and you wouldn't have as much fun. You know, sports and all is about having fun and competition. And we want sports to be safe. And, uh, you know, I understand that pro athletes get paid for what they do. Um, and that that's what makes it a little bit different for sure for them. Um, but you should, you know, take precaution. Certainly the issue of concussions is not only limited to football, but to many other sports, including hockey and uh, soccer, particularly women's soccer, where there's a lot of heading, and the, the heading of the ball tends to uh, give rise to the concussions. So we, uh, the second segment flew by. Uh, we appreciate your listening to Voice America Sports, BruceTheSports.com, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, my son Spencer Grossinger, Spencer the Wizard. When we come back in the next segment, we're going to break down the recently completed British Open, the Claret Jug, the oldest trophy in golf. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in three minutes. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now... 
back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Wiz City and Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm Spencer the Wizard. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, it's been a little while since I've last seen everybody, but it's great to be back on the air and right back where we belong. To the fans, thank you for holding with us. I hope you're having a great summer. I know everyone's doing their own thing, wherever they're in sleepaway camp, wherever they're on vacation. It's easy. Just uh, log in to Voice America and catch up with us. Um, Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer the Wizard. And speaking of the middle of summer, when you think of the middle, mid-July, you think of the British Open. That's one of the biggest sporting events in all of summer. And it didn't disappoint this time around. We started off in round one with a clear-cut leader, Adam Scott, posted in a record 66. He posted in a... Um, six under par, and Brent Snedeker um, then came through with a blistering 64 in the second round, even upstaging Scott. So you had Snedeker and Scott, two top dogs battling it out. You thought that they would go into the weekend together. But no, the young Brent Snedeker didn't show poise and played poorly in round three, leaving just one Adam Scott atop the leaderboard. The final round... There are a bunch of people trying to chase Adam Scott. Some familiar names. Tiger. Graham McDowell. Snedeker. And Ernie Els. Adam Scott was, was in control of the golf tournament. He was at minus nine. Or, or yes, yes. He was at, what was he at? He was as low as 1400. He was at, actually, he was at minus ten. Let's set the stage. He was at minus 10. The closest one to him right now is Ernie Els, who's playing the 17th hole right now. And Bruce Sportsock, I'll lead you in right now to tell us what happened in this dramatic closing stretch of holes. Adam Scott played flawlessly throughout this tournament. However... He's never won a major before, and when it came to the last four holes, he uh, tragically bogeyed four straight holes to really put himself a place with those individuals who have lost. The Greg Norman folding against Nick Faldo. Going back to John Vandeveld, who had a meltdown on the 72nd hole of the British Open. and had, I believe he had a nine. And Adam Scott certainly doesn't deserve to be thought of in that way. He's a consummate pro. He's won plenty of tournaments. And it was really uh, Ernie Els who played from tee to green spectacularly, particularly in the last round. He just couldn't make a putt. He was burning the, the, the lip with his log putter. And it all came down. And the announcers, I recall Mike Tirico on the 18th hole, 72nd hole of the tournament said, you know, Ernie hasn't made a putt. This is the time for him to make it. So Ernie was there with the crowd on the big stage. He rolls in an improbable birdie to tie Adam Scott. And Adam Scott basically just had to party 18th hole to go into a playoff. 
It's interesting. You look at the collapse, you know, the Phil Mickelson collapse and other, you know, collapses. And Adam Scott's collapse was, it, it, it was a pretty, it was like a long and, and draining process of poor golf. So it was, it wasn't really like such a dramatic choke. It was kind of more of a gradual decline in his golf game. Um, there was one putt, and this putt, he probably would have won the tournament. I think it was on 15 or 16, where you really saw his nerves. He missed a three-footer for par after hitting the green and doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Now, that's discouraging. You know, Adam Scott, the last four holes, he was playing, you know, to not lose the tournament. He was playing to make par. He wasn't thinking about a birdie at all. He was just like, let's get a four on each hole. And we'll win this golf tournament. And it must have been discouraging when Adam Scott hit the 16th green and he had a three-footer left for par to miss it and roll it out. Um, the bottom line is Adam Scott drove the ball well in the last four holes. His, his approach shots were not good. And when you're at the British Open, it's hard to get up and down, especially when the wind is blowing on Sunday. So... It's sad for Adam Scott because he's such a class act and everybody on the PGA Tour likes Adam Scott. At least I think everybody does. And for Ernie Els, I mean, he kind of just snuck in at seven under par. He played very well the last day and actually got some putts to go down. Um, so um, Ernie Els, though, on the last hole made his putt for seven under, which put a little bit of pressure on Adam Scott, but mostly just thought it was a good second place putt to get the seven under. Few knew that it would win the golf tournament. Um, and, and really no one could predict that Adam would bogey all four holes. Um, and after he bogeyed 17 and was tied with Els, I was worried that Adam Scott would then lose the tournament. I didn't see him birdieing the 18th. I thought he could party 18th and take it to a playoff, but in that playoff, Ernie Els would be playing with nothing to lose. He would just have been so happy just to get into a playoff for Adam Scott to bogey three holes like that um, and to put him in that position. So Ernie Els pretty much, I mean, I think Adam Scott lost the tournament more than Ernie winning it because no, cause even Ernie said that he, he, he was kind of, you know, taken aback when he was the winner and didn't have to play any more holes. So, you know, Adam drove it in the bunker on 18 and it, it was very difficult. Adam then needed to pretty much hit like a birdie essentially because he chipped out into the fairway and he needed to get up and down from 150 yards he stuck at 144 yards had a six footer up the hill and pulled it left and uh he it was a heartbreaking miss for adam and it's really discouraging for the guy who's 32 years old with caddy steve williams of tiger woods the former caddy adam scott is a guy that's very talented, but he hasn't broken through in the major stage. And this week, he played the best out of anyone. No one could argue that. He was the clear-cut favorite, and all he needed to do was close out the deal. And he gradually made four bogeys in a row. You know, it wasn't that dramatic of a horrible hole. Just his approach shot game was not precise. And he couldn't hit the green when he needed to. Another philosophy that I have for why Adam Scott lost this golf tournament was 
he was playing not to lose in this mentality. You look at Tiger Woods, you know why he's so successful? Because in the final round, even if he has a big lead, he's not trying to just win the golf tournament and get out of there. He's trying to annihilate the field. He's still going out there and going for birdies. Adam Scott came content. And in the first nine, Adam Scott had his A game on, but he wasn't sinking the pots. He had it. He had the formula to win the golf tournament, especially early on. If he would have made some of the putts and had that killer instinct to just light out the field and just to put on a parade, kind of like Louis Oosthuizen did a couple years ago, just carry away from the field, those four bogeys would have meant nothing. In fact, he probably would have played looser and only bogeyed two out of the four holes. It wouldn't have even mattered. So Adam Scott... Going forward, he just knows that it's so easy to blow a golf tournament like the British Open, especially a major championship. Even when you're playing well, in a flip of a switch, you can lose it all in in golf like that. And you're playing against yourself, and it's a very difficult game to play, and even pros do that. So Adam Scott can learn from this and that he needs that killer instinct to just light out the field next time he plays. In this final round... He played it with a different mentality. The other three rounds, he had that killer instinct. He had that, you know, birdie or bust kind of mentality. He knew he was playing great need to make birdies. But in the last round, he was playing not to lose. He was playing just to make par. He was playing for average. And that's not a way to go about things. Well, any discussion about golf, would it be complete without mentioning Tiger Woods and how he fared in the British Open? Tiger, again, was not leading going into the final round. And interestingly enough, he has never came from behind to win any of his 14 majors. And this was no exception. Here, the sixth hole, the dreaded pot bunker, was his uh, downfall. We're looking here, obviously we don't have a video, but we're looking at a photo of Tiger hitting a shot actually it was the second shot on the uh, in the in the bunker the first shot in the bunker he was against the face he tried to ricochet it off the left side of the bunker to the right it's really been difficult instead the ball ricocheted instead of going right it ricocheted left it almost hit him if it would have hit tiger it would have been another penalty but basically he was completely unnerved and he ended up hitting a, a great shot as we can see here where he's literally on his knees. I don't think I've ever seen anybody execute a shot from a sand trap like that before. He actually was able to to ricochet it off onto the green, and he was so unnerved he three-putted. So now looking at it, all Tiger had to do was shoot one under. I mean, he he was down, and he thought he had to have a great round. Started the day six under par, and the winning score was seven under par. All he had to do was shoot one under, and he would have been in the playoff with Ernie Els. Instead, he shot a 73 Shot, you blew up with that triple bogey, couldn't recover. And again, Tiger, you know, as of yet, hasn't won a major since 2008. No, but to give Tiger, um, you know, a little bit of of relief um, from his poor final round is that he didn't foresee Adam Scott playing, performing that poorly. He thought the golf tournament was over, and most people who watched Adam Scott all week wouldn't have predicted that he would have bogeyed the last four to finish at 7-under. You know, not even Ernie Els fought 7-under was enough to win the tournament. And 
I think Ernie Els definitely won this tournament. I mean, I, he won the tournament, but I think Adam Scott lost it more because going back to the last couple holes Ernie was playing, the gallery was following Adam Scott. Ernie Els was just trying to post a number. Just I think he wanted to just get in second place because I didn't think he even thought Adam Scott would slip that back. So, um, Ernie made his putts. You got to give him credit, but at the same time. Uh, he, he, those weren't pressure cooking putts, um, because he wasn't the leader and he thought he was just making these putts just to post a score. So he didn't have the same pressure that, uh, that Adam did, but you got to give Ernie some credit. He played a really good golf tournament. The guy's a hall of famer and a class act and everyone loves Ernie else. It's great to see him win it again because he went through um, 10 years without winning a major championship and some people forget how amazing Ernie Els is a clear cut Hall of Famer and one of the best to ever play the game so it was a great moment for Ernie to win and hopefully Adam Scott can recover from uh, his final round um, at the British and I think Adam Scott definitely has some majors in him just like Ernie Els said in his post game speech which was very touching well we're up against the break again you want to thank Ray Ellis, our sports director, Michael Mitchell, our producer extraordinaire, and most importantly, you, the listeners, for listening week in and week out to Bruce the Sports Doc and Spetch the Wizard. Stay tuned. In our final segment, we're going to talk about the big story of the year, maybe the decade. NCAA finally rolls out sanctions against Penn State. And we'll talk about whether it was fair, how it will affect the program in the wake of the, uh, the horrible situation with uh, Sandusky. So, again, stay tuned. Get ready for the final segment. We'll be back in three. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm here with Spencer the Wizard Grossinger. We're now going to focus in on today's events. The NCAA and Mike Emmert have levied the most extensive series of penalties against any university in history. A $60 million sanction. A four-year ball ban, postseason ban, and a vacation, which we should point out means a removal, not any kind of vacation, but a removal of all the wins of Penn State, Joe Paterno, dating back to 1998. That means 111 wins are removed from Coach Paterno's dossier. And therefore... They wanted to prove a point. 
rather than letting go, letting him go down in history as the number one winningest coach, he's now going to be he's dropped to number twelve. And this is in the wake of Jerry Sandusky being convicted of forty five counts of child sex abuse last month. So the evidence is in. Lewis Free, former FBI head, investigated thousands of documents and emails and concluded that Penn State was guilty of concealing critical facts relating to Sandusky's child abuse from authorities. He specifically pointed the finger at Joe Paterno at the Board of Trustees and essentially this free report said that Penn State had decentralized and uneven oversight of compliance issues. They had violated laws, regulations, policies, and procedures. And therefore, this Penn State scandal dwarfed other scandals, such as the Reggie Bush scandal, taking money, the Ohio State trading memorabilia for cash and tattoos. It also resulted in ball bans and loss of scholarships. The money... That would be that will be paid by Penn State will be going to uh, uh, essentially to support uh, child welfare and, uh, and charities in that regard. It's not as if the NCAA is going to get a direct direct cash payout. I think we all would frown upon that. And uh, the question is, how is this going to affect the program at Penn State? Would they have been better to get the proverbial death penalty? One year of no football and then start all over again, or essentially four years of losing many scholarships, losing money, and being precluded from going to the Bulls. Bill O'Brien's the new coach, left the Patriots to help you know, start a new regime. And Penn State has purged virtually all of the uh, characters involved in the Sid Dusky uh, situation of child abuse. So, Spencer, what are your thoughts? How will this affect the program? How long will this keep Penn State down? How many people will transfer? What will be the effects of today's rulings? It's very tough. I mean, the NCAA, you know, is doing the right thing, and they're being the good guys in this case. Um, You know, no one can achieve the main goal, and no one can take back all the horrible actions that Jerry Sandusky did to those innocent children. And Joe Paterno... um, for 12 years, from 1998 to 2010, which might be 14, 13 years, maybe even more than 12, um, he knew what was going on with Jerry Sandusky, and he didn't stop it. So his legacy will be tarnished because child abuse is no joke. Defenseless children, and just a horrible action of violent act. And, and Joe Paterno knew what was going on, and he thought it was best to not mention it just because of a game that he decides to coach. Instead of thinking about innocent children that, you know, are defenseless. So, um, this whole situation is just such a debacle. And, uh, it, it's really horrible because so many victims of children abused in this situation. Um, I think Penn State, I think that for this upcoming class, it shouldn't be their fault. There's only a couple people to blame here, and unfortunately, the, these people are in such high 
authority figures. Like Joe Paterno was the head football coach and Sandusky was a an assistant to the football team. And football Penn State is, is bigger than is is almost bigger than anything. You know, Joe Paterno is one of the top five people in the state of Pennsylvania. And when you think of Penn State, you think of Joe Paterno because of his motivational talks and because he's the head football coach and football is very big, big ten football. Um so I think it's not fair to punish the upcoming class because it's not their fault and to punish assistant coaches that didn't have anything to do with it. So I think that um, putting them out of the bowl for four years is, is fine instead of suspending them for a whole year because really uh, Penn State is a good university. It has been for a while, and you shouldn't punish this Big Ten team um, that much. In giving them in giving them a suspension, and I think that Penn State will be okay because they will get athletes that are committed to changing the culture, and they will get athletes that have high character. Because athletes that have mediocre, that have average character, will say, "I'm not going there." Um, and well, this is the norm. The norm would be for an athlete to say, "I'm not going there." It, it's too hard to focus there because of everything that has gone on there. And you won't be playing for championships, and I just you know want to go to the pros and play for national championships, and I don't want to be in such a pressure-packed situation and such a depleted university. So I think they'll get high-character guys, and they'll be all right. Well, I agree. It's a terrible thing. It's not fair. If you did the death penalty, you basically pull the rug out from the recruits, the existing players. The fact is, Penn State is an excellent university. We... uh we're talking about colleges and jobs in the state of Pennsylvania. If you look, number one on the list is Penn State. Uh, of all the colleges, and Philadelphia has more colleges than Boston actually spent. So the graduates of Penn State are number one at getting jobs. They get great jobs. It's a great university. It's a great college experience. It's certainly no fault of any of the students at Penn State what happened with Jerry Sandusky. And uh, most of them were young children themselves when, when a lot of this abuse went down. So, obviously, the university has uh, has cleaned house. They fired Grab Spanier. And essentially, everybody uh, associated with the Sandusky regime, regime is gone. And uh, the fact is that if there's, if there's a player who's worthy of being in the pros, they're still going to play in the Big Ten. We see players Division Two, Division Three. Pro players, you know, get noticed, get drafted, and can play in the NFL. So uh, if there are players who, who believe they're NFL-worthy, they choose to stay at Penn State to honor their commitment. I think it's a great thing. Alternatively, you know, the kids of one college career, if their parents or they feel just uneasy about the situation, there will be transfers. And uh, without the ability to go to a bowl, I, I believe that the program will, will likely uh, not have even a 500 record. I think it's, they're going to have a losing record. And that's really built into this penalty, that they not experience victory and not celebrate it and uh, experience uh, you know, what's intended to be a disgrace of uh, just a horrible situation. I think that also Penn State can't play in the Big Ten Championship. I mean, still in the Big Ten, there's a lot of rivalry games. So, you know, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Indiana. There's still some games out there that are that they'll really get up for. But you're right. You know, I think that the average kid will say, this is such a depleted university. This smells nothing but trouble. 
and I just want to have a regular college experience in a normal university, and I don't want to go there because of what has happened. Um, and that's understandable. So it'll probably be four years of the dark ages for Penn State football. You know, I agree with you. You know, uh, I don't think there'll be a ton of success there. And uh, the Penn State fan base, I mean, if you, I mean, I, I follow Penn State football a little bit. Um, but but so many people from this area really follow it, and it might be a little bit hard for the real Penn State fans to get up for this, for these upcoming seasons because um, you don't have a chance to achieve greatness and to bring home a national championship to Beaver Stadium or any bowl championship, even a Holiday Bowl or you know even a low key bowl. You don't have the chance to win. So um, you know that the psyche uh, of an athlete. The motivation might definitely be lacking as a fan and as a player. It's just inevitable. Um, so, you know, that's just normal. You can't blame it on anybody. You know, you and I report and follow on a lot of sporting events. But in my lifetime, I can't remember a bigger fall from grace than Joe Paterno. Literally coached, if you look at as an assistant coach and head coach at Penn State, Coached 55 years at Penn State. You know, 55 years. He was revered. And certainly, there's no argument that he did a lot of great things in his life. A lot of kids graduated from Penn State when they did not from other schools. He really focused on education. He built a library, gave his family, gave millions of dollars. And, uh, but this, uh, this scandal, these allegations against Joe Paterno, you know, he seemed like a guy who would live forever. He reminds me of Ronald Reagan. You know, Ronald Reagan never had any gray hair and uh, just seemed like he was going to live forever. Paterno was coaching into his 80s. He was kind of like the Everetti, uh bunny. He he would break his hip. You know, he would get sick. He, he'd coach from the press box. And, uh, you know, I just remember, you know, Growing up, and I remember, you know, years ago, as a kid, you know, 35 years ago, Joe Paterno was a legend. And he has been a legend. And this, it all came crashing down. They removed his statue from the university. They've now removed 111 games and relegated him to out of the top 10. And it's truly a, uh, a tragic situation. And, uh, a lot of my Penn State friends, and their rabid fans, as you notice, just are sick about the whole situation and, and embarrassed, you know, for the university. I just want to give you a lot of credit, Bruce. That was a great piece that you just said there on Joe Paterno, putting him really in perspective. And you know, it, it's it's so it was so incredible what what happened because you know you go back to five years ago even when i was a kid i knew joe paterno since i was about three years old and if there was like if i could pick 10 names of guys that i would think would be the most innocent human beings in the world i'd put joe paterno on that list kids faces light up when they see joe paterno he was he was a hero he was a god joe paterno was was bigger than penn state you know himself and uh joe, joe paterno um just seemed like such an innocent guy. He seemed like such a great motivational speaker. He just seemed like such a class act all around. Everyone rooted for him. Everyone loved Joe Paterno. Kids went to Penn State because of Joe Paterno. So Joe Paterno, for that to happen, 
that he's like the most innocent guy in the world and for him to come out in this flashing light this evil this this side of him that just is a very poor poor character Joe Paterno who knows maybe he was maybe since he was older uh, you know, because I think he died when was he eighty years old? So maybe when he was sixty-eight years old, when Sandusky took over and did these horrible things, maybe he was too old really to put things in perspective. But still, I'm not really giving him an out there. I think that Joe Paterno has lived a great life. I think he's done mostly great things in his career, um, and I think most of his life has been lived in true character and true form. And probably a lot of sources told Paterno not to. You know, go and um, snitch on Sandusky, or not to snitch. Snitch is a really wrong word there. I, I to tell and be courageous and to help out the situation, not to snitch, but to be a hero and to defend the honor of those kids. Um, but you know, this this action will definitely hit his legacy. But I'd say most of his life has been a great success, and he is still. He, most of his life, he's been a great man, but with these past 12 years, it really was poor character. You know? Well, you know, Joe Paterno is old school, and again, there's some parallels to the uh, controversy the Catholic Church and the priests, how the, the archdiocese would, uh, would protect the priests, they would move them around, rather than uh, leaving them open to public ridicule. And Paterno's old school, and... I think he was trying to protect his friend. You know, he, he viewed Sandusky as a friend, and it was wrong, definitely wrong. The idea of just keeping it in the shadows and not bringing it out uh, is not the way it's going to be handled in the future. And uh, Penn State, you know, th- there should be a lesson, you know, through, through it all, throughout the whole NCAA. Uh, Bernie Fine was a coach for the uh, Syracuse Orangemen. And he was lucky in a way that his alleged offenses, similar child abuses, abuse actually, singular, are, uh, you know, protected by statute of limitations. It just happened too long ago, whereas Sandusky was not. And so, uh, it's just a terrible chapter in the, in the history of the NCAA in Penn State University. I believe though that the new regime, new morals, great, great kids, through and through, you know, great people attending this, you know, the school, and a wonderful legacy of of students and academics, which will not, in my view, be deterred. Uh, everybody's going to move on. So uh, this has been a sobering, you know, certainly one of our most sobering uh, episodes of Bruce's Sports Talk, dealing with concussions for two segments. One, we lighten things up just a bit on the U on the British Open. Talking about uh, Ernie Els and Adam Scott, Tiger Woods, and then back to Penn State, you know, dominant theme. Uh, want to thank all the listeners. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope it was uh, something you're interested in. And in the future, you can look forward to more, you know, discussion about sports medicine, concussions, more in-depth analysis, more interviews. So again, want to thank Ray Ellis, our sports director, Voice America Sports. Michael Mitchell, our production director. And thanks again for listening to Bruce the Sports Doc. We'll be back next week with a new show. So everybody, enjoy yourselves. Try not to get hurt there in the ball fields. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. 
Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.